chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Um, We'll be reading out of that, but before we do, the children from kindergarten to grade 6 are dismissed at Children's Church. So Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it is a privilege to be with all of you this morning and to open God's word together. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Derek Howell, and I've been serving for about a month and a half now on staff as the pastoral resident. I'm serving as Mark's associate pastor in this time before we head overseas, myself and Mara. Um, So for the last few months, if you have been around, um, you'll recognize that we did a series for Christmas looking at Jesus and encountering um, the gifts that he brings us in the Christmas season, and then over the last six weeks, we've been in 40 days of prayer, looking at how God speaks to us and calls us to live for him now. But if you were here before then, we were going through the Gospel of Matthew and hearing Matthew's account of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to be jumping back into the Matthew story, looking at chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And in many ways, this is a good place for us to pick back up because we see Jesus beginning again his ministry. You see in verse 1 what Jesus is doing after he had finished instructing his 12 disciples. He went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. If you look back in your Bible to chapter 10, verses 5 to 42, you see where Jesus was. You see that he went out to his disciples and he called them together. And after he called them together, he decided to send them out, labeling them apostles, those who are sent to give his message. And they went to give his message to the towns, and he called them to go to the people of Israel to preach and to heal and to have no fear as they do so. And then Jesus himself remained back and continued to go through the towns of Galilee himself. See, in many ways, Matthew 11 brings us back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In Matthew 4, you see a parallel between here and the earlier passage. In 4.23, it says that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So Jesus at this time is once again on mission, calling those who would believe to himself for his glory, building for himself the church. But he doesn't get very far before he is stopped by some of John's disciples, some who were sent by John to ask him the question, Jesus, are you the one? Now as Jesus begins this mission, he comes to these disciples who are sent by John asking him this question, and we would expect someone who is newer in faith to ask these questions, but we are surprised to see that John the Baptist himself is coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, are you the one? Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we wait for another? Hear the words, the question that John gives through his disciples. 
verses 2 and 3, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? I don't know if you're familiar with where John the Baptist has been up to this point. He's most well known for Matthew chapter 3, which records that Jesus was baptized by John. And if you read through that account in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, you hear of the miracles that took place whenever Jesus was baptized by John. We're told that the heavens opened and that the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove and the Father's voice was heard saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. I don't know about you, but if I was in John's shoes, if I had experienced that, I don't think that I would be asking that question. So why is it that John is having these doubts? Why is it that John is doubting Jesus? Well, we're given a clue, a hint about the answer to that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. There's almost a throwaway line that Matthew gives us that gives us context. We see that John has been thrown in prison. In the time between Matthew 11, when he's asking this question, and Matthew 3, whenever he baptizes Jesus, he has spent a good deal of time in prison. And now whenever we think about prisons, the prisons back then were not like the prisons we have today. See, prisons today are not a fun experience, one that personally I would not want to experience, and I hope that none of us have to experience prison. But prison is a place now where we go, and we know this, prison is a place that we go to carry out our sentence, to wait before we can be released again, to be rehabilitated from what we have done. And there are people in prisons whose job it is to make sure that prisoners have rights. Prisoners have the basic things that they need. They have food, they have medicine, they have shelter. But back in John's day, prisons were not even as nice as they are today. You see, in prisons back then, it was often people were put in these prisons to await their execution. People like political prisoners, prisoners of war, were put in there as basically a holding cell while they are tried and then eventually executed. See, there's no rights in prison. Often there was no food in prison. And many times there was no escape from prison. So John, sitting in prison, recognized how bleak his situation was. He recognized that there was likely going to be no escape for him. See, John was thrown in prison, we're told later in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 14, that he was thrown in prison by Herod for being faithful to Jesus' message, the message of repentance that God had given him to prepare the way for Jesus. He went to Herod and he said to Herod that he needed to repent because he had taken his brother's wife, and Herod did not like this message. And Herod had the power to throw him in prison, so he did. And then eventually, John was beheaded in prison. So likely, whenever John sends his disciples to Jesus, he recognizes that he is close to death. He recognizes that there is a lot more behind him than in front of him. And whenever he has this realization, he starts to think back on his life, And I think what he really is asking whenever he sends his disciples to Jesus is, Jesus, I have suffered for you. Jesus, I have not lived a good and privileged life on your account. I have been in the wilderness. I've eaten locusts and honey. I have been reviled. I have been rejected. Now I am in prison and soon I will be killed. 
All of this I have done for you, Jesus, but was it worth it? Jesus, are you the one, or did I suffer in vain? And I think that this is a question that we might think more often than we like to admit. I think the same question, whenever we experience suffering, whenever we experience rejection, whenever things are hard for us, I think the question often comes to the back of our minds. Jesus, is this worth it? Jesus, are you the one? See, I think the difference between us and John is that John has the boldness to say what we all think. Jesus, am I doing the right thing by giving my life to you? I don't want to skip over this point because I think it's an important message of comfort for us if we think that. See, I think a lot of times we think of church as a place where we have to appear perfect. We think that everyone here is a good Christian that doesn't have those doubts that I have. Everyone here is a good Christian that doesn't question God. But if you are here today and you are questioning God, wondering, Jesus, is all that I've given to you worth it? Or, Jesus, I'm willing to come today and to seek you out, but is it worth it to give my life to you? I want this to be a word of comfort to you from Matthew 11, these verses and then verse 11, this word of comfort that you are in good company. So I want you to hear the words that Jesus says about John in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now notice when this comes, it comes immediately after John is doubting him. After John is asking him, are you the one? See, Jesus doesn't say, well, John doubted me, he's out. But he says, John doubted me, and yet there is no one who was born of woman who is greater than John. So I think the word of comfort that this has for us today is that if you are doubting, Jesus wants you to take your doubts to him. Going to Jesus is the right place to go when you are doubting when you question your faith, because Jesus will answer your doubts. And indeed, in our passage today, Jesus was faithful to answer John's doubts. Whenever John came with to him with the question, are you the one, Jesus gave the response, look at what I'm doing. Jesus pointed to his healings as proof of being the Messiah. Hear from Matthew the words of Jesus Verses four through six, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And so what Jesus does whenever John doubts is he says, look at the proof. The proof is in what I am doing. As I am traveling to Galilee, see what I have done and see what I will do. I think Jesus is giving us and giving John a lesson on healing today. There are two things from healing that I think we can learn today from this passage and from the example of Jesus so as we look at this passage, I want us to consider first the reality of healing. 
I think there are many ways that we can parse out and divide what healing is and understand healing more specifically. But I think at its most basic level, healing is nothing more or less than God meeting our physical, emotional, or spiritual needs. Healing is God meeting our physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. And Jesus, as he says in this passage, is a master of healing. I think the reality that the Bible gives us is that Jesus was a healer then. You hear the testimony of it then, but I believe that also the reality of healing is that Jesus is our healer today. So I want us to look at this passage and look in the Gospels for examples of Jesus' healing. Of course, we hear them in verse 5. We see the way that God, through Je- or that Jesus knows our needs. For those who are blind, Jesus gives sight. For those who are lame, Jesus gives the ability to walk. For those who have diseases like leprosy, they are cleansed through Jesus. He gives them hear- hearing if they are deaf. He gives them life if they are dead. And if they are poor, he gives them the good news of the kingdom. Jesus knows our needs, and Jesus meets our needs. In fact, if we look at the Gospels as a whole, we see that healing is a priority for Jesus. 20% of his earthly ministry was a ministry of healing. Jesus is our healer. And he doesn't only heal through himself, but he also heals through the apostles. If we look back a chapter in Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, we see Jesus' mission that he has given to the apostles as he sends them out. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Jesus didn't just hold the power of healing for himself. He knew that the church would spread his message. And whenever the church went out, he wanted them to do what he was doing. See how similar this list in Matthew 10 is to the list of Jesus' healings in Matthew 11. In both of them, he calls them to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse those who are sick. Indeed, we see later as Jesus is preparing to be killed. As Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, one of the last things that he teaches his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 12, is that they will do greater works than him. See, Jesus knew that his earthly ministry was coming to an end, but through the apostles, his church would spread. And as the church spread, they would heal. He would heal through them. They would do greater works than he could because he would work through all of them to make his kingdom known throughout the world. I think this is a great commission promise. As they are going, they are called to do the works that Jesus did. They were called to heal as they went to all nations, to all peoples, and baptized them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as they taught everything that Jesus commanded them to do, they had the power to heal. I think there's evidence of this all throughout the book of Acts to encourage us through the works of healing that the apostles did. So Jesus is our healer in himself, through the apostles, and even for us today. I want us to turn to the book of James, chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, and hear the promise for those who are sick of Jesus, our healer. It'll be on the screen as I read it out. 
Feel free to follow along. James chapter 5, verses 14 to 16 says this. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So the book of James gives us the template for healing today, healing for us in these verses. And the word that Jesus gives to us today as we continue the Great Commission, as we continue to go and spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus to all nations, is that we have access to Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our Sanctifier, Jesus, our coming King, but also Jesus, our Healer. See, the Great Commission is still active. This healing ministry of Christ is still active. So what this means for us today is that if you are in need of healing, if you find any physical, emotional, or spiritual need in yourself today, Jesus wants to heal you. So just take this as an invitation from us here at Dorseyville that you are welcome to come and follow the leading of James chapter 5. We would be happy, we would love to come with you, come alongside you, to pray over you, to anoint you, that you may be healed. This is a ministry that we take seriously, a ministry that we love to carry out. You are welcome. There is no judgment at the healing table of Christ, our great physician. So if you need healing today or any time in the future, feel free to reach out to Mark, to myself, to the elders, and we will come to you, we will pray with you, that you may confess your sins, that we can pray together that you may be healed, because Jesus is our healer. And this, our friend, this friends, is our reality today, is that Jesus is our healer, and Jesus heals but Jesus doesn't just heal for the fun of it, for the sake of it, or because it's a cool ministry to do. Jesus has a purpose in healing. Jesus went out to heal and his apostles went out to heal because they wanted to show the world that Jesus is the Messiah. Again, Jesus did not heal for the sake of it, but he healed to authenticate the gospel of the kingdom. This is why whenever John came to Jesus, Jesus' first reaction is to say, report to John what you hear and see. These things that you have seen, these things that you have heard, point you to me as the Messiah. So all healing, if it is truly Christian healing, if it is healing by and for Christ, it will point us to Christ. And so just a word of warning from this passage for us today is that not all healing is done to glorify Christ. See, we're given warnings throughout the scriptures of false teachers and false healers. Jesus himself, later in this gospel, in Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 and 24, gives us this warning. At that time, speaking of the last days, Jesus says, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. 
For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, not all healing is healing under Christ. There are some who seek to do signs and wonders, even seeking to show healings as a means of deceiving us. See, the goal of these people is to lead people astray to have them believe in false gospels, false hopes. This is why we see and we speak out against ministries like that of Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn. The word of faith, wealth and health, prosperity gospels because their gospel is no gospel at all. See, they use healing to gain money. They use healing to speak out and say that if you pour money into my ministry, you will see it grow and expand and that the hope for you is material wealth, physical health, the joys of this world. This is not the message of Jesus. They are seeking to lead you astray. But how do we know if a healing is Jesus' healing or if it is one of a false teacher? Well, John, one of the apostles in a different letter, gives us these words to help us test the spirits. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So as you test spirits, you look to scriptures, you seek, is this person, is this ministry giving us the true message of Jesus? And a test for these prosperity gospel preachers, I think is best found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 38. So the reality that Jesus gives us of himself as he sends us out is that the same Jesus who is our healer is also the Jesus who calls us to take up our cross and follow him even if it costs us our lives. So friends, test the spirits. But also, on the other hand, we don't want to let our discernment point us so far so that we reject Jesus as our healer. So we don't want to miss the power of healing through our discernment. Because healing is meant to point us to Jesus Whenever healing is done in his name, whenever it's connected to Christ, it becomes a powerful testimony. So we see this at the end of this passage, verse 6. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus is saying, see my works, believe in me, trust in me. This is a powerful testimony that girds our faith in times of doubt seeing what Jesus has done and what Jesus is still doing here and throughout the world as his gospel continues to spread to all tribes, tongues, and nations. He is still healing. So Jesus' message, his response to God, or his response to John, rather, I am your healer, trust in me. And for us, this is why we emphasize in our fourfold gospel that Christ is our healer is that through his healing, Jesus declares himself to be the Messiah. I pray this is a message of hope for you today. 
pray this is a message of comfort and encouragement for you today when you are doubting. And I don't think that we can look at this passage without asking the question, why then does Jesus not heal everyone? Perhaps this question is a personal one for you. Maybe you're here today and Jesus didn't heal you or a spouse or a brother or sister, a son or daughter. Maybe you're sitting here today doubting and questioning that if Jesus really is the healer, why wasn't I or why weren't they healed? This is a difficult question. I want you to know first and foremost before we look into the reality and the purpose of healing to seek answers from Jesus that Jesus' heart breaks with you. That this world is not what it's meant to be. That this world does not give us the life and the hope that we wish to have. But see, the answer that I think we can take that I hope is a comfort to you today if this is a personal message for you is that not everyone is healed because healing isn't our goal. Physical, emotional healing in this world is not our greatest need, and it is not Jesus' ultimate goal. But healing instead is a tool that Jesus uses to point us to a greater hope, a greater hope of greater healing. See, there's a reality that many of us have come to terms with This reality is that you are going to die. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how great your doctor is. It doesn't matter if you've run marathons or if you've lifted hundreds of pounds, if your body is in peak shape or if you've never really cared for your body. Every single person in this room is going to die unless the Lord takes us home first. So our hope cannot be in this world because that hope is no hope at all because it will eventually fall short because we are going to die. And it's true that Jesus has the power of resurrection. We saw that. We see that in John chapter 11 when he raises Lazarus to life. But if you go to Bethany today, you won't find Lazarus there because Lazarus, even though he was raised eventually died, just as we will. So it is good and it is right to pray for healing. It is good and it is right to hope upon the Lord and wait upon him to be our healer and to pray and anoint and pray and confess and be anointed. We have to recognize with this that if our hope is in wealth or in health, in prosperity, in a full and good life on this earth, if this is why we are coming to Jesus, this hope is no hope at all, and this hope will fail us. So if you are coming to Jesus for healing, for wealth, for status, for anything other than Jesus himself, that will eventually let you down, but the only true hope is in the giver, not his gifts. But the true hope that Jesus offers, the greater hope, the greater healing is the hope of the resurrection. This is a hope that is active for all of us. When Jesus healed, he used this healing to point to his greatest miracle of all. If you're familiar with the story of the Bible, 
We're told that creation was made good, but through Adam's and Eve's sin, creation was broken. Everything had fallen, and the story of the Bible is that we can then not reach out to God. There is a chasm between God and his perfection and us and our fallen brokenness. Because we are not perfect, we cannot bridge that gap, try as we might. But the story of the hope of the Bible is that God, who was perfect, stepped into the brokenness of our world. He came down from heaven and he lived among us, and he died for us, and that by his death we can be reconciled to God. And because this chasm, this chasm between the perfection of God and the imperfection of man is our greatest need, Jesus' act of coming to our world and dying in our place is his greatest healing act of all. And because of this act of salvation, because Jesus came to our world to live and die in our place, though he did not deserve death, we have a greater hope offered to us. Because Jesus has bridged that gap, we can then be reconciled to God, and so our hope is no longer a full, healthy, or wealthy life on earth, but instead, our hope is in eternal resurrection with Christ. Now I believe that Jesus heals. I believe that you are here. If you are here today, and if you're blind, Jesus might heal you and you might receive sight. If you have diseases, I believe that Jesus might heal you and you might be cleansed. But I know for a fact two things. First, you will deteriorate again. And second, when you die, if you have received Christ by faith, you will receive eternal healing as you are brought back together with God finally and fully as your sins have been paid and you are called to eternal life with Christ. This is our greatest hope. This is the hope that gives us the boldness to live full lives for Christ, to turn to him in all things to be bold in our faith, not caring for the consequences, but caring only for the glory of his name because, friends, following Jesus is no safe endeavor. The testimony of the apostles is that 10 of the 11 faithful disciples who were sent out in Matthew 10 were eventually martyred for their faith. But the hope even in death and the hope in life is that if you believe in Jesus, the promise of John chapter 11 Verse 25 is a promise for you that though you will die, yet through Christ you may live. So will you today follow Jesus who gives you hope and healing? Will you today risk everything and turn to Jesus and accept the answer that he gives to John? Though you may die, it is worth it to follow Christ. So as we close today, I just want to close with the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I just want you to listen as I read these hopeful words. And if you believe in Christ, trust in the knowledge that this is your future. This is your greatest hope. 
I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, today, the question or the response that Jesus gave to John, I am your healer, trust me, is the same response he's giving to your doubts and your questions. So today, will you follow Jesus, our healer? Let's pray. Jesus, so many are our cares. So many are the trials of this life that, Lord, we confess that it is so easy to focus only on the trials of today. Lord, it is so easy to only care for how you are meeting our needs today, but Lord, we hand our cares to you. We lay them at the foot of the cross, trusting that you have already met our greatest need. You have already met the need that we can be reconciled to you. And so, Lord, give us the boldness to live in faith. Lord, I lift up those today who are doubting, those who are questioning you. Lord, we ask that you would comfort them by your spirit. Lord, I also pray for those who need boldness to come forward and to receive healing, to confess their sins and pray together that they may be healed. Jesus, you are our healer and we trust in your name. Lord, strengthen us by the truth of your word today, this week, and forevermore. And Lord, it is in your perfect and precious name we pray. Amen. I invite you to rise for our closing song of worship and just offering a reminder that our...